but it really is fascinating because, yes, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And there's very few examples that we can just point to and say, this is a moment of that. But this evening, I would like us to consider two different points in particular where Jesus marveled. Now, if we look at that word, the word marvel, that might seem a little bit strange to us because the word marvel literally means to express surprise or to be shocked by something. Well, if Jesus is 100% God and all-knowing, how on earth could he be surprised by something? If he knows their hearts, why would he express that shock? But here's a question I would like you to ask yourself. How many times have you known something very likely could happen or know that someone is capable of doing something and it still caught you off guard? Not in the sense that it surprised you, in the sense that, oh, there's no way I thought that would have happened. It blindsided me, but it just caught you off guard and it hurt. This is more of a shock thing than surprise or being taken for a ride. So what we're going to express here is showing how Jesus marveled in two different situations, and we're going to take a positive and a negative, and we're going to start with the negative. That way we can end on a positive and be happy at the end, right? We're going to start with the negative. A time when Jesus marveled at someone's unbelief. At someone's unbelief. I'm thankful to Hunter for reading that passage for us in Mark chapter 6, and that will be our text starting here. It's Mark chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which, he giveth, or which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the village in circuit teaching. Jesus is going home. The place where he grew up, the people he would have known since he was young. And he's trying to teach these people the same as he would anywhere else. And while he's there, he's preaching and teaching these wonderful things. And what do the people do? Is this not Jesus, the carpenter's son? Is this not Mary's son? We know his brothers. There was a, a preacher on one occasion who said that being a preacher in your hometown is one of the worst things you can possibly do. <laughs> he said, you want to know the reason for that? It's very hard to take someone seriously when you know that you changed their diapers when they were little. It's hard to take someone seriously because you don't take that and say that's what God said. You tend to see only the person. Now, this is Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, preaching to these people, teaching these people, and all they can see is Jesus as a child. The young Jesus. They didn't see him as who he was, the Son of God. They saw him as the child they saw playing in the street. And as a result of that, they discredited what he had to say. They were offended that he would try to speak to me. How dare you tell me how to live? I remember when you were... How many times have you heard that statement? 
Maybe someone remembers how you used to live if before you became a Christian. Maybe you have some things in your past you're not very proud of. And when you try to talk to someone about it, they know the story. And that makes things difficult to explain. It's hard for them to see past what you were before. It says they were offended at his teaching. So, first of all here, we notice that these people were offended. They were taken aback. How dare you talk to me about my sin? How dare you teach me the way you have everyone else? Think about how some of those people would be on the day of judgment when they're standing before the very person that they mocked and ridiculed. How dare you talk to me? He has every right. Not because he's hateful. Not because he wanted to put these people in their place. But he wanted these people where he, that he grew up with to follow after him so that they could too have eternal life. This is what he wanted for them. You see, these people were too prideful to listen to what God had to say. They only saw that they were above him. When it comes to preachers and we listen to what they have to say, truth is truth no matter what the source is. Truth is truth whether it comes from a 16-year-old or an 80-year-old. Truth is truth if it comes from someone who had a rocky past or someone who had a squeaky clean record. It's not a matter of being too prideful because we're listening to the message of the God who created the very air we breathe. We have no right to express that about ourselves. To elevate ourselves to that level. God has always stood against those who are prideful. Those who think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. There is a level at which, yes, we are very wonderfully made. There's something to be proud of in that sense. That I am a creation of the Lord. That I'm a first fruit of His creatures. First, or James chapter 1. That's something to be proud of. However, I'm not to elevate myself to the level of God and to hold myself higher than Him. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, a proud look is one of the seven things that God hates. Hates. Now, we don't tend to put those words together, God and hate, but there are some things that are so contrary to God that He despises their very existence. He hates that proud attitude. All throughout the book of Proverbs, we see how prideful men are shown to be a negative thing. Solomon talking to his son says, don't be this. Now think about who's writing in Proverbs. This is Solomon, the greatest king of Israel. A man who, for all intents and purposes from a worldly standards, could express pride in himself. He had the most wealth. He had a powerful military. He had a powerful empire. But he tells his son that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. When we become so prideful that we think of ourselves as greater than correction, we will never listen when we're wrong. And instead we make ourselves to be God instead of who actually rightfully deserves that place. So God has always stood against those who are proud. The proud only have one God and that's themselves. And that's what these people were doing. They listened to what he had to say. They were offended because you're attacking my life. You're attacking how I live. Therefore, I'm not going to listen to you. They didn't believe him for who he was. And as a result of this, they rejected his teachings. The people did not even allow him to show his glory. 
Think about that for a minute. When Jesus went about His ministry, what was one of the main things He would do? Perform miracles. Show people who He was when He preached His message. He shows these miracles to prove this is the power of God. The message I'm preaching is not coming from just any old Joe out here. This is coming from the Lord Almighty. But it says He didn't do many, save for laying hands on some and healing them, and that was just a few. Think about a place that is so wicked that there's no point in God proving who He is. Think about that for a moment. These people were so caught up in their own lives and so much they were going to reject the Lord that there wasn't even a point in performing miracles. That's where these people were. They had so isolated themselves from the Lord that there was no way they were going to listen. This reminds me of what Jesus said about the Pharisees and how he described that those who would blaspheme the Holy Spirit, those who would look at the power of God and claim it came from the devil, which is what they were saying. They looked at these miracles that Jesus was performing. He says he casts out devils by the power of the devil. Think about that. God is showing this wonderful signs to prove to them of his glory and his honor and instead they call it demonic and reject Him. A heart that's so hardened that even the Word of God cannot penetrate. God has given us the ability to choose. He's given us the ability to hear what He has to say, and we can reject it. We can walk away from it. But Jesus was marveling at their unbelief. He was taken aback at how hard-hearted these people were. Again, this is a shock. His humanity shone through. Now, this wasn't a matter of saying that Jesus' humanity could overpower His Godhood. That's not what we're talking about. But we know by the book of Hebrews that he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He felt the emotions that we feel. He experienced the situations we experience. There's nothing that you and I can go before God and say, you just don't understand what it was like. Because he said, I was rejected by family. I was rejected by friends. I was rejected by those who were there from the time I was born. I understand what it's like. I know what that's like. He took this stance. He was marveling at these people's hard-heartedness. And if that was the only mention of Jesus marveling in the Scriptures, that would be very sad. That He marveled at unbelief. But there's another example that we have. Another moment where Jesus marveled at something, but this time it was in a positive light. This time it was something good. If you would please look at Matthew chapter 8. That's Matthew chapter 8. Specifically, we're going to be starting in verse 5. It says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Notice this. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word 
and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Then Jesus heard it. He marveled and said to those who followed, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed the same hour. Jesus marveled at this person's faith. Why? What happened here? What was so shocking? First of all, the centurion sought him out. Jesus didn't have to go to the centurion to show him of his power. The centurion heard about him and said, this man can do what I need him to do. He has the power. He has the authority. He has the right. Jesus was, has always reminded and rewarded those who seek after him. Reminds me of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, he says, Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Seek and you shall find. We seek after God, we will be rewarded in our search. We'll find what we need to know if we have the open heart to do it. If we are like the people that we just discussed and we're hard-hearted, it doesn't matter how much seeking we do, we won't accept what we find. But if we have a heart that's ready to receive the Word of God, a heart that wants to know the truth, then we'll find what we're looking for. We'll find the source. We'll find the one who can help. <clears throat> we were made after this likeness. We were made after God to seek after Him. That's exactly what we find in Acts chapter 17. Made of all na- or all, one blood, all nations of the earth. And what was the purpose again? That we should seek after him. That we might find him. I'm also reminded of what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Very end of the chapter. What was the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God, keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What had he been doing? Solomon had been trying to find happiness and excitement in this world by every other source. But he said it's just to seek after God. <clears throat> to follow after Him. See, this man also humbled himself. See, he understood, I have to go to the source. But what did he say about himself? Lord, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. He understood who he was and he understood who the Lord was. I'm not worthy for that. But if you just speak the words... If you just show his, your power, my servant will be healed. He humbled himself. God will exalt those of low standing. James chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 specifically talk about this. Are we willing to humble ourselves before God? <clears throat> Is that the heart that we have? That I understand it's not what I can do. I can't do everything right. That's not in me to do. That's why God has mercy. That's why God has compassion. Because if I could do everything myself, what was the purpose in his sacrifice in the first place? Now that doesn't 
remove my responsibility of following after him, studying after his word and doing what he's asked us to do. But I'm not earning that. The only time we see the term wages used, <clears throat> we find it says, for the wages of sin is death, but what? What's the word that's used? But the gift of God is salvation. Eternal life. We have to humble ourselves before God because if I'm focused purely on what I want and what I think, I'll never take the time. I'll never follow after Him. Instead, I have to honor Him. I have to put Him forward to say, you're the one who's in charge, not me. Not me. He marveled at this man's faith. Those who humble themselves will be honored before the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Humble yourselves inside the Lord and He will lift you up. Not me. I can't honor myself. Why? Because I'm the same as everybody else. What do I have to glory in that no one else has? I struggle with sins just like everybody else. I have to come before God just like everybody else. I'm human just like everybody else. I get sick, I get hurt, I struggle. That's the way it works. But there's one who can honor me, who can bring me up if I humble myself under his will. This is what this man was doing. He sought the Lord out. He understood where he needed to go. When he found the source, he humbled himself enough to honor him. Imagine what the centurion could have done. Think about his position. A centurion, a military leader. What was happening in Israel at this time? Israel was occupied. It was under the Roman Empire. This centurion simply could have come up to God, the Son of God, by legal standards, and he could have said, heal my servant. You're obligated by Roman law to do it. I don't think that would have worked out too well for him. But he had the legal right to do that. But instead, this centurion, this leader of his day, humbled himself to what would have been considered by the world to be a peasant because he knew who he actually was. He knew what he could do. But more than that, more than just seeking after him, more than just humbling himself, he believed it could be done. He believed in the power of the Lord. He knew what he could do. Remember the moment where Jesus is walking on the water. He's going before his disciples, and they're in the boat. They're scared because there's a storm around them. What happened? When Jesus is walking on the water, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to get out of the boat. Let me walk on the water with you so that I can know. And Jesus said to get out of the boat. And to Peter's credit, before we get too harsh with this passage, Peter got out of the boat. <laughs> Peter got out of the boat in the middle of a storm and walked on the water. How many of us would sign up to do that? See, Peter did believe in the Lord, but what happened? He got distracted. He got distracted, and what happened as a result of that? He began to sink. Notice, he didn't just drop. He began to sink. As our faith wavers, 
we grow farther and farther from the Lord. But just because we struggle doesn't mean we're immediately lost. We have time to come back, to come back to Him, to make that right. See, Jesus marveled at this man's faith because he was willing to follow after him, to seek after him. He was willing to humble himself, but then he actually believed that God could do what he said he could do. See, he didn't just come to Jesus and say, I believe that you can heal my servant, but I also have six doctors waiting at the house. They're going to take care of it if you can't handle this. He put all of his faith in Jesus. He says, you're the one who can do this, not me. Not the doctors, not any other person who claims to be a healer. You're the one who can do this. And he says, I have not found such great faith. No, not in Israel. Think about what Jesus just said there. A Gentile has more faith than people who claim to follow after God than God's chosen people. To a Jew, that would have been a slap in the face. To a Gentile, that would have been confusing. But this man understood that he was the source. He was the one to follow after. It also reminds me of Abraham. We look through examples of the scriptures of those who put their faith in God. Think about what Abraham did in Genesis Chapter 12, get thee out of thy land from your kindred unto a land that I will show you. And what did Abraham say? Okay, where are we going? What's the name of the place? Can I look it up on, inter- on the internet before we go? Can we check it out and make sure the neighborhoods are safe, that there's good schools? No, it says he got up and he left. The land that he had grown up in at that time, one of the most advanced civilizations of that day. But he said, I'm trusting in you. I put my confidence in you because you said this is where I need to go. Well, we have that same faith. Throughout the scriptures, God has wanted us to put our trust in him. But we will not put our trust in someone we don't know. We will not put our trust in someone who hasn't proven themselves. God's proven himself. Throughout all of Scripture, we see example after example of God proving his power, proving who he is, showing goodness and justice, has not been afraid to be proven, not been afraid to be tested. But have we tested it? Have we studied the Word of God? Have we investigated what He has said to know for certain who He is? This centurion put all of his faith in Jesus. Have we? Have we? He wants to make the way available. He wants to give every one of us the opportunity to follow after Him, and He has. But it's our choice to make. See, Jesus marveled at the unbelief of those in Nazareth. He marveled at the faith of the centurion in Capernaum. And today we can fall into either camp. If Jesus were to take a look at our lives tonight, each of us individually, what would he say? 
what would be his comment? Would he be excited to talk about us like he was about Job? Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth. Or will it be like the people in Nazareth? See, what happened right after Jesus went to Nazareth, he sent his disciples out to go preach, to go teach. And one of the things he told them was when you go into a city and they reject you, kick the dust off your feet and keep going. Jesus is speaking from personal experience. Because he had to do that with his hometown. The place where he grew up. See, Jesus is not willing to ask us to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. He asks us to follow after him and to be faithful. Well, he followed the commandments of the Lord. He asks us to endure temptation. He had to do it as well. He said, stay strong even when people reject you. He did the same. He also told us to be baptized into Christ. He did that as well. There's nothing he has commanded for us that he was not willing to walk through himself. So this evening, if Jesus were to talk to us face to face, what would he say? Only you can answer that question. All of us, we don't know your heart. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. That's between you and the Lord. If there's a public thing, something that needs to be made right, that's what we're here for. We're here to try to encourage one another so that we can all say that we were faithful to the Lord. Maybe this evening you've never named the name of Christ. You're not a member of the Lord's church. Maybe you just want to find out more. Maybe this is the first exposure you've had to it. There's many people here who are willing to sit down and study with you. We'd be excited to do so. To sit down and find out what the Lord has asked of us. But maybe you know what needs to be done. Maybe you've been waiting for a while to do it. He's made the way available. He's made the plan simple. You must hear the word, Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Upon hearing that word, it's the only way we can know what it says. We believe it to be true, John 8, 24. I said, therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And based upon that belief, that acknowledgement of the fact, that statement that, yes, this is true, we're willing to repent of all of our past sins. That change of mind which brings a change of life. I'm not going to follow after the ways of the world anymore. I'm going to follow after Christ. Acts 17.30, In the times of the ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And once we've made that decision that we're going to follow after the Lord, we confess His name. According to Romans 10.10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We acknowledge, I'm going to follow after Him. And based upon that confession, you can be baptized into Christ. We don't have a baptistry behind me to gesture to, but we'll find a place. We'll find a place. If that decision is made tonight. But maybe you are a member of the Lord's Church. Maybe you have been for many years. But maybe your heart began to grow hard. Maybe some of the commands the Lord had seemed a little too difficult at the time. He wants you to come home. He wants you to seek after Him just like you did before. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Under what circumstance? If we're willing to confess our sins. To say I was wrong and I'm willing to make it right. What will your decision be tonight? There's no reason to leave here unsure. Unsure of where you're going to go. Unsure of what the future holds. If you have any need, please come as together we stand and as we sing.